This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. I'd like to welcome all of you here to Santa Barbara Hillel for the Taubman Symposia. I'm Rabbi Evan Goodman. I'm executive director here at our organization. We provide Jewish student life and all sorts of student life here for the students in Isla Vista. Um, we are privileged to be part of the consortium of organizations that joins together with the University of California to provide excellent speakers on topics of Jewish interest in our community. And so we are very happy that you could be here, that our community members are here, as well as our student leadership and broader representation from across the student community. I'd like to ask if you have a cell phone now to make sure that you have turned that off. Take a moment to silence that. And we do this in partnership with the Taubman Symposia, uh, Program Director uh, Leonard Wallach, and I am pleased to introduce the chair of our program committee, Professor Dr. Richard Hecht. Thank you. Um, I asked Rabbi Hartman to allow me to just say a word or two to the students. Uh, and he has given me his permission before I introduce him. One of the things that... Um, we hope that these symposia do is that you have an opportunity to listen to ideas, very significant ideas, but it's also important to learn how to ask questions and enter into dialogue. And consequently, from now on, I'm telling the students, you stay for the questions. Is that okay? I want to hear a yes from the students. Okay? Uh, I think that's important. Um, Rabbi Doniel Hartman's presentation tonight um, brings to a close another year of our Taubman Jewish uh, Studies Symposia. And Leonard and I uh, would like to thank all of you who, again, have supported us for another academic year. And I should tell you that this is the end of our high year, 18 years we've been doing this. And already the program committee is scheduled to meet next month and begin planning another year's uh, exciting programs for our students, our faculty, and our community members. Many of us in this community have had the opportunity to visit, learn, and study at the Shalom Hartman Institute. I want to, I want to underscore its importance by quoting the program that you have um, in which it says at the very end of this description of our program this evening, the Institute is committed to the significance of Jewish ideas, the power of applied scholarship, and the conviction that great teaching contributes to the growth and continual revitalization of the Jewish people. The Hartman Institute was created, or has created, I think, an extraordinary and I'm not using that in a hyperbolic sense. It has created an extraordinary venue for religious and intellectual pluralism that I think is without peer. Um, tonight, we have the opportunity 
to learn from its president, Rabbi Doniel Hartman, who has chosen an absolutely vital subject to discuss with us. Who are the Jews? Who are we? And this is a question that all Jews have to come to terms with. It is the main circuit cable, if you wish, that runs through the entire history of the Jewish people. And, of course, it is an omnipresent concern of us in the present. Um, We can't avoid it. American Jews have to continually ask the question of who we are. In 2013, some of you know that the Pew Research Center published its very contested or very controversial portrait of Jewish Americans. And that report was based on uh, 5,000 individuals who were surveyed. That report starkly highlighted the accelerated numbers of intermarried Jewish individuals well beyond the Jewish Federation of North America's um, uh, rates of intermarriage. The uh, Pew survey reported that intermarried couples are considerably less likely to join synagogues, to contribute to Jewish charities, to identify strongly with Israel, to observe Jewish rituals, or to establish social relations with other Jews. The large majority of intermarried families are only loosely um, or ambivalently or not at all connected um, to Jewish life. Therefore, this question of who we are is of absolute vital significance. And we could not have, I think, a better person to guide us in discussing this question than Rabbi Hartman. Um, So I hope you'll join me in welcoming Danielle Hartman to our university and community. Thank you very much, and uh, good evening. One of the most memorable moments in my life was a few years, actually a year or so, after I moved to Israel. Um, I moved to Israel as a 13-year-old. I was 4 foot 11, actually 4 foot 10, but that extra inch was like a big deal by me. Um, I weighed about 50 pounds. Um, I grew later, <laughs> grade, between grade 11 and 12, um, about a foot. Um, I was a little pishy kid. Any association between me and a muscle was purely accidental. <laughs> It was like I was this, you could count my ribs. It was like I was this little scrawny little, my sisters called me a brat. My parents loved me. And I remember moving to Israel at the age of 13, a few months after my bar mitzvah. And there was this subliminal message communicated to every young boy in the country. You are the protector of the Jewish people. The 
future of the Jewish people is on you. Now you have to realize, I think when I first heard that message, I grew for it, like, I stood like, it's on me? Like, <laughs> what do you mean on me? Like, I, I'm afraid of cockroaches, like, <laughs> like what you, on, on animals. It's like, I'm a little, it's on you. It's on you. This country is going to count on you. The Jewish people are going to count on you. And it was one of the most exciting things about moving to Israel. Now, I was a player in Jewish history. And I went to school to a religious Zionist Orthodox school where all of our teachers at the time came from the ultra-Orthodox non-Zionist community. And I remember one day our teacher sat all of us down and he said to us, children, you are part of God's army. It's not for you to serve in the other army. And I was devastated. <laughs> I'm, I, I, I'm the protector. I'm the, I'm the one who's supposed to carry the future of this people. And my teacher said, that's not your job. And I came home to my father. And I said, Abba, how could somebody tell me that my religious duty is not to protect my people. And he said to me, Daniil, I want to teach you something. And he taught me something that has shaped my life almost every day of my life since. He opened up Tractate Brachot and he said, I want you to hear the way the rabbis explain the story of the golden calf. And the golden calf Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to receive the Torah. What was supposed to be the climax of the whole Torah, this was the moment that everybody was waiting for. And while God and Moshe are having a great time on Mount Sinai, what are the Jewish people doing? Building a golden calf. And I'm going to come back to that later. And God says to Moses, Go down. Lech red. Your people have sinned. Your children have sinned. Your and God and Moses answers, please forgive your children. It's like each one, it's your kids, it's my kids. But God says, go down. These two words, lech red, go down. Now in the Bible, God is disgusted with the Jewish people. But the rabbis turn it around. And they say the following sentence. God says to Moses, Go down. I have given you greatness only for the sake of the people. And now that they have sinned, what need do I have of thee? God says, if you want to be a Jew, 
The only way you could enter into this tradition is through a people. This is not a religion in which you get to play one-on-one with God. This is not a religion in which you get to stand on the mountain by yourself. Regardless of how outstanding you are, regardless of how unique you are, if you don't start first and foremost with a connection to this people, you're not doing Judaism, is what God says to Moses. Go down. You thought I loved you. You're only here because there's a people down there. And if they're not ready to receive this Torah now, if they're not with me, there is no Judaism. There is no relationship with you. And from that moment on, my first connection to my Jewishness has always been a connection to my people. When someone wants to convert to Judaism, the first thing they have to do is to say, this people will be my people, before they get to say, this God will be my God. And in this sense, Judaism is profoundly different from Christianity and Islam. There is a collective identity. There's a sense of peoplehood inherent to Jewish identity. That's the way we've understood ourselves for 3,000 years. That's part or the, at the core DNA of doing Jewish. It therefore behooves us to think about who we are. Because the question is not simply, who do I want to be? But who are we? What is this we about? Now we have a serious crisis today in contemporary Jewish life. And that crisis is that the outside world doesn't hate us enough. Thank you for smiling. (laughs) I have a dry, cynical sense of humor, and usually it just goes above people's head, but seeing you smile made me feel, okay, someone's hearing me. When we're hated, when we're the outsiders of history, Our collective identity is defined by them. Who are we? In a Christian country, we're the non-Christian. We're the non-Muslim. But one of the realities of the latter part of the 20th century and the 21st century is that we're living in a world in which Christendom has significantly redefined its ideology has rejected its supersessionist principles, is reaching out to Jews in levels that we would have never, never, never imagined. We are mainstreamed in the world, and I know there are places in the world where there are still difficulties and there's still anti-Semitism. But both the Jews of Israel and the Jews of North America who make up 13 
out of the 14 and a half million Jews in the world are living in environments in which we, in Israel, it's a Jewish country, and in America, we are a beloved minority here. The professor quoted statistics of, of, of intermarriage. Intermarriage is not the product of a lessening of Jewish identity. We are living in the first generation in which non-Jews are willing to marry Jews. Prior to this generation, you had to be crazy to marry a Jew. Why would you want to marry a Jew? You want to check out a pogrom? Like, can I see a smile? Thank you. No, like, what would it be? Oh, it's like some extreme sport. Yeah, I want to marry a Jew. Run away from a Cossack? Like, like, what is, like, like, what is it exactly? Like, like, it's, you'd have to be crazy. Like, who would want to marry? Like, I wouldn't want, any, I wouldn't want to marry anybody who would want to marry me. No, it's like you want someone at least basically stable. <laughs> but America's a different country. We're in a different reality. There's an acceptance and a mainstreaming of Jewish life. And we can't, whether you believe that anti-Semitism still exists or does not, we won't get into that debate. It is factually accurate, however, to claim that anti-Semitism doesn't define our collective identity. It doesn't give to our collective identity meaning. Who are you? He or she who they hate. It certainly doesn't define the identity of anybody 40 years and below. And that doesn't mean you don't experience anti-Semitism. There is no group in America who's not hated by somebody. But it's far more precarious in North America to be a Muslim than to be a Jew. African Americans and blacks, every group, Latinos, every group has somebody who says something nasty about them. It's not like we are singled out. So now it's up to us. I don't have a safety net anymore in which they will tell me who I am. We have to figure out who we are. And what I would like to do this evening is to tell you a story. Tell you a story about the Jews. How did we understand ourselves? What were the core pillars of what defined this 3,000-year-old people who've been walking together? What is that? Oh, it's not an earthquake. No. <laughs> you have to realize, like in Isra for Israelis, it's like, this is an act of great heroism on my part, coming to California. <laughs> it's like, I'm safe in Israel. It's like, here, you, I don't know what you... It's like, <laughs> everybody, you know, has their, like, what they think they're uh, worried about. There are two core types of Judaisms, or two core ideologies, which shaped the way we understood ourselves. One I will call Genesis Judaism, and the other one I will call Exodus Judaism. 
and I want to explain them to you because these two ideas have played with each other to shape our community and our identity for 3,000 years. The first is Genesis Judaism. The Bible could be summarized while you stand on one foot more or less as follows. And God spoke to Moses saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, Do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And the Jewish people said to Moses, Speak unto God and say to God, No. The story of the Bible is the story of the Jewish people not doing anything Jewish. Nehemiah, the last prophet at the end of the Bible, looks back at the 700 years or so of, of, or, of Jewish life and he says, God, you are great. You promised to take care of us when you said to Abraham, go forth from your father's house, from your birthplace to the land that I will show you. I'll make of you a great nation. I will care for you. I will take care of you. I will look out for you. God, you, you were great. Look what you did to us in Egypt. Look at the way you took care of us in the desert. Look at the way you gave us the land. Everything, God, that you promised, you delivered on. The covenant, you are a great covenantal partner, God. You are wonderful. We, however, Nehemiah says, are complete and total failure. At every single moment, we constantly rebelled against you. You asked us to do A, we did B. You asked to observe the Torah, we didn't observe the Torah. And it's fascinating, the history of the Jews in the Bible, as told by the Bible, is that we, with the exception of, of a very small number of generations, biblical Jewishness or biblical Judaism is an identity, Jewishness without Judaism. Judaism existed in the aspiration of God it exists in the words of the prophets. The Jewish people did not observe Torah, did not observe Jewish law throughout the biblical period. Even Solomon brings idolatry into the temple. While from God's perspective, or from one perspective, this was a profound deviation, in fact, this idea became one of the most significant definitions of what it means to be a Jew, shaping who we are to this very day. Genesis Judaism stands for a Judaism of being, not a Judaism of doing. That the first feature of what it means to be a Jew doesn't matter, it's not determined by what you do. It's not determined by what you eat. It's not determined by what you know. The first core feature is, it's who you are. You're a part of a family. God says to Abraham, go forth 
I will make of you a great nation. God says, I will be with you and your children and your descendants regardless. Very often, I don't know if any of you have, have read the book of Genesis. If you haven't, give it a read. It's a very strange book. It really is a strange book. Creation is interesting, full of interesting ideas. But once you get to Abraham's family, it's really about 40 chapters of one of the most profoundly dysfunctional families you will ever meet. Really dysfunctional people. And the Bible doesn't even try to portray them positively. Doesn't even make an effort. It's like it was like try at least. Do you know who looks good? Esau looks good. But we're from Jacob. Jacob? Jacob's children? Isaac? After Abraham? It's a very, very complicated story with, with no heroes. And I can never understand. What's it doing here? Like, can't I feel good about my aunt? Like, rewrite it. Tell me a story that I should feel good, you know. I know all the stories about George Washington. Give me some stories about my ancestors who did great things. They didn't do anything. They were terrible. They hated each other, tried to kill each other. It's just, it, it, it's just a, you know, terrible. So what do we need it for? The idea behind the book of Genesis is that Judaism is not dependent on what you do. And in fact, there is no Torah in the book of Genesis. The rabbinic tradition tries to correct it by having houses of study and people observing various principles of Jewish law. And I remember a teacher of mine said, how do we know you have to wear a kippah? Because it says, and Abraham went out to walk in the field. Do you think Abraham would walk without a kippah? From here we know you have to wear a kippah. <laughs> Life's simple. It's a different world. It's a world in which Judaism is not a part. It's not something that you do. And this gave birth to, to, to fascinating principles one of the most significant of which is there is no such thing as a better or worse Jew, according to Genesis Judaism. A Jew is a Jew is a Jew. You're not better or worse. And in the rabbis, there's a principle, there's, there's a midrash which says, Yisrael, afal Yisraelu, an Israelite, even though they sinned, they are still an Israelite. And in the 10th century, Rashi transforms this into Jewish law, which has almost never been contested. And you have to realize there is not a single idea in Judaism which is not contested. This idea, there's almost no halachic figures who contest this principle. That if you're a Jew, it doesn't matter what you do. Even if you converted to Judaism, and the next day, the minute after the conversion, you decide, oops, I made a mistake. From the perspective of the Jewish people, you will always be a full Jew regardless of what you believe and regardless of what you do. 
I'm going to come back to Genesis Judaism in a moment. But then there is a second major idea. An idea that I call Exodus Judaism. Exodus Judaism believes that Judaism is not a modality of being. It is first and foremost a modality of doing. To be a Jew is to be somebody. Leviticus 19, I am the Lord your God. You shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. To be a Jew is to aspire for something. To be a Jew is to stand for something. To be a Jew is not simply an accident of genetics. To be a Jew is to embody profound and significant principles and ideas and values in your life. These two ideas, Genesis Judaism and Exodus Judaism, created a whole slew of principles which shaped Jewish conversation. I want to give you a few examples. The first, Genesis Judaism gives birth to the core fundamental principle that to be a Jew is to have loyalty to the Jewish people. There is no such thing as, as, as a moment in which your loyalty is conditional. If someone in your, if somewhere, anywhere in the world, one of your people is in trouble, you don't sleep at night. Your first and fundamental act as a Jew is to feel responsible. All of Israel are responsible for each other. We have each other's backs. There is no act that could undermine that loyalty. And again, in a very beautiful, beautiful midrash, the rabbis ask, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he broke the Ten Commandments. But God didn't tell him to break the Ten Commandments. God didn't tell him to break it. The rabbis say this is one of the three things that Moses does of his own accord. And God afterwards agrees with him. But why did he break it, the rabbis ask. They said Moses opened the book and he said, what's written it? In the Torah you will find, you shall have no other gods besides me. Moses says, if I give them the Torah now, I am going to be making them guilty of, 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 the, of, of violating the prohibition of idolatry and consequently they will be, all be subject to the death penalty. I'm going to destroy the Jewish people. Moses says it's better, preferable, to break the Torah than to give it to the Jewish people now and to cause the death and destruction of the Jewish people. Let me break it now and, I'll, and there'll be another time. I am loyal to the people regardless of what they do. I'm loyal to the people over and above, in many ways, Judaism. The primary mitzvah of Genesis Judaism 
is to stand with Jews regardless of where they are and what their needs are. Sense of responsibility. The primary mitzvah of Exodus Judaism is mission, not loyalty. The primary responsibility of an Exodus Jew is to ask yourself, am I who I ought to be? I am supposed to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. I am supposed to be exemplary. I am supposed to stand for the highest principles. To be a Jew is not to look to the left and to look to the right and to find out what's popular. To be a Jew is not to walk within the consensus. To be a Jew is to ask yourself, who is it that you ought to be? And even if it's lonely, and even if it's not popular, there is a standard of excellence that obligates me. There's a great Yiddish term from German which reflects Exodus Judaism. It's the term Pasnisht. Pasnisht. Pasnisht doesn't have a really good translation in English. Pasnisht means it's not appropriate. It's not proper. It means it's not... I expect more of you when you walk in the street how do you conduct yourself what are the values that embody your politics what are the values that embody your social life your business life it doesn't matter to me what's acceptable in the world what matters to me is who I ought to be Genesis Judaism, its core mitzvah is loyalty. The core mitzvah of Exodus Judaism is mission and purpose. But there's another core feature. If Genesis Judaism is a modality of being, as I said, there is no one who is more Jewish or less Jewish. And consequently, the boundaries of Judaism become very, very vague. And if we do boundaries, we do them very, very selectively. It's very difficult under Genesis Judaism to do something that pushes you beyond the pale. Because Judaism is a modality of being, not of doing. And consequently, regardless of what you do, you're still within the context of our community. Exodus Judaism, on the other hand, creates significant boundaries and denominations in Jewish life. Now, denominations aren't a bad thing. Denominations are an expression that we Jews don't agree, and I want to create a framework where I could express most fully my purpose, my mission, my belief of what God wants of me. But as it moves forward, 
Exodus Judaism has a tendency to create significant boundaries between Jews. Because if Judaism is a modality of doing, what happens if you don't do? When Judaism is a modality of being, there's no such thing as uh, you're less Jewish than me. But if it's a modality of doing, then there could be serious differences between us. I could look at you and I could say, you're a mediocre Jew. Or most significant, you're not as good as me. You should be doing more. I might not want to have a relationship with you. Genesis Judaism creates a theory of boundaries in the Jewish tradition in which basically anybody who sees themselves as Jewish, the Jewish community embraces them. In Exodus Judaism, it's not up to people's self-perception. It's determined by systems of law and behavior. And there is room, if I was just an Exodus Jew, to say, I want to have nothing to do with you. The Khatam Sofer, the founder of ultra-Orthodoxy in, in Hungary and Germany, at the beginning of the 19th century. He lives in an era where Reform Judaism is growing. He feels the threat of Reform Judaism. He looks at Reform Judaism and says, this is not my type of Judaism. And he writes, I wish that we could separate from each other. That we would never marry each other that we'd have nothing to do with each other. You go your way, I will go my way. We will be two completely different communities. Exodus Judaism and Genesis Judaism reflect two different ideas and instincts about Jewish life. One of the greatest secrets of our people is that we never chose either Genesis or Exodus Judaism. We put them both, they, they lived in tension with each other. Genesis Judaism was the Judaism of the Bible. Once the Bible is over, the Jewish people, paradoxically, once God stops speaking to Moses, once prophecy is over, the Jewish people during the Second Temple period, begin to embrace Judaism. For the first time, they reject idolatry. They begin to live according to the Jewish calendar. They begin to do things which are Jewish, and Exodus Judaism enters into our story. And from that moment, Exodus Judaism and Genesis Judaism become two poles which speak to each other and challenge each other. Exodus Judaism challenges Jews and says, who do you want to be? What Jewish continuity is a goal unto itself? There should be more Jews? That's it? For what? What do you want to be in this world? What do you want to do? What's your contribution? What value-added proposition does being Jewish provide? Exodus Judaism 
saves the Jewish people from racism. Because Genesis Judaism says it's a modality of being. You're born Jewish or you marry into the Jewish people. It's it. You don't have to do anything. And while it's never, Judaism was never a race, a modality of, do, of being unto itself, when you have a small little nuclear family, makes sense. But when you become a people walking in the world, it's just, that's it. For 3,000 years, we've been walking through history simply to continue to walk through history. And what's our job? Our job is to make sure that the next generation of Jews should still walk through history. For what? It is Judaism puts quality into the Jewish conversation. But Genesis Judaism saves Exodus Judaism because Exodus Judaism by itself would probably destroy the concept of the Jewish people. Because Jews don't agree and we never have agreed. There isn't a single principle in Judaism that everybody who sees themselves as Jewish says, I accept. Take, for example, let's, let's compare ourselves to Islam for a moment. What's the core fundamental statement of belief in Islam? Do any of you know? I'll give you a hint, it's known as the Shahadat. Do any of you know the Shahadat? Oh, you don't have to say it in Arabic, you could say it in, in English, yes? You know the Shahadat? Don't worry, I'll be really nice. That's correct. The Shahadat states very correctly, there is no God but God, there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is God's messenger. There is no Muslim in the world who does not accept the Shahadat. You can't be a Muslim and an atheist, for example. You can't. There is no God but God. You can't be a Muslim and not accept that Muhammad represents in the most authentic way the will of God. And while Islam accepts the religious authenticity of both Judaism and Christianity, Muhammad's prophecy in the Quran reflects most authentically the will of God. Now let's go to the Jews. Do the Jewish people accept that there is no God but God? Some. But there's a lot of Jews who don't. There's not a single rabbi in North America who goes through a year without somebody asking them, Rabbi, could I be a good Jew without believing in God? We don't even ask, could I be Jewish without believing in God? That's not like, you know, that's not Dayenu, that's not enough. Could I be a good Jew without believing in God? There are many Jews who don't believe in God. Muhammad is God's messenger. Moses is God's messenger. The majority of Jews believe that the Bible was written by J, E, P, and D. He was certainly not the prophet who delivers a Torah. We are a profoundly diverse people, far more divided than the jokes about ourselves. If any of you want to Google or YouTube or something, this, it's actually in Hebrew. I don't know if it was ever translated. There was a documentary done by Israeli television about the two last Jews in Afghanistan. 
<laughs> with all of Afghanistan. There's two. There were two. Each one had its own shul. <laughs> they had the keys. They didn't talk to each other. They wouldn't. It was like it's. It's. They had this. The last two Jews of Afghanistan. It's like you think the only two Jews. It's like you know, nothing. It was like you sat there. This is the. If all we had was Exodus Judaism, we wouldn't be here today. Part of the discourse, and I'm not talking about this tonight, part of the discourse around Israel is very often indicative of only an Exodus Judaism consciousness without a Genesis Judaism consciousness. If you're only built around your mission and your ideology, by definition, you will divide as diversity becomes your reality. Genesis Judaism says, while to be Jewish is to live in accordance to certain standards, there is something underneath that that obligates you. There's something underneath that that doesn't allow you to walk away from a person who disagrees with you. Genesis Judaism obligates you to some measure of pluralism or tolerance, which Exodus Judaism unto itself would not be advocating for. Now why am I telling you this story and with this I'll conclude? Because one of the great challenges of 21st century Jewish life is that the secret ingredient of Judaism which was a balance between Exodus and Genesis, is beginning to fall apart. We're beginning to see Jews who are only Genesis Jews. Jews who are only Exodus Jews. One of the interesting features of North American Jewish life and it's very generational. And this is a very multi-generational audience. Probably one of the more multi-generational audiences that you'll ever see in North America. Genesis Judaism is less relevant for Jews 40 and below. There's an embarrassment with Genesis Judaism. Part of the gift of America is that America provides for me my collective identity. Judaism is my system of values, my aspirations. This Judaism as a notion of being, why should it, what does it mean to be Jewish? And it's really, it's very interesting. Those, and I'm thinking, my, for whom Judaism is a modality of being, it's very hard to describe to somebody. What does it mean to be? It's like, it's, uh, it's like my, I'm my two grandchildren's grandfather. What is I am their grandfather. It's not something that I do. It's not like, I know, like my, I buy lots of presents and I spoil them. And I told my daughter, it's, you know, your job is that and my job is to do what I have to do. And so I, everyone has their roles, but there's a relationship which goes so much deeper than anything that I'll ever do. It's just who I am. But one of the realities of North America is that this modality of being 
is becoming more and more difficult to communicate and let alone to experience. But could Judaism survive only as an Exodus Judaism? If to be Jewish is to fulfill certain values and certain principles, do I have to be Jewish in order to live up to these principles and values? What does a mitzvah mean? Anybody want to try? How is a mitzvah translated in North American parlance? No, that's not the, that's the way it's, that's its actual translation. How is it translated in North America? A mitzvah means a good deed. Now if a mitzvah is a good deed, what do I, what do I need this particular story for? I could be an Exodus Jew in multiple forms, in multiple ways. As we think forward, as we think whether the Jewish people are going to continue or how they're going to continue, one of the more interesting questions we face is how do we create an intergenerational conversation and a conversation of being which goes beyond doing and doing which goes beyond being. Being creates a space for particularity. Being gives dignity to what is unique about you. Being says, this is my story, and I'm a part of this story, and, and it allows for a certain measure of multiculturalism, it allows for a measure of particularism within your identity which gives you a past and connects you to those around you. Doing without any particularity becomes universalism to the extent that there is no distinction between being Jewish and not being Jewish. There is no reason to remain and there is no reason to stay. You quoted the Pew survey. As we move forward as a Jewish people, 70% of Jews, and in California it's already 80, um, of Jews who will be born will have one Jewish parent. In Marin County, it's 97%. We now have over 2 million people who are not born Jewish, who are committed to living in Jewish families and raising their children Jewishly. We are at an era, as everybody states over and over again, that Jewishness is an act of choice. It's not passed down automatically from one generation to the next. We are different Jews. Your grandchildren and grandchildren 
of some of you, are going to be very different Jews than you were. The students here, you are different Jews than your parents are. We can't be Jewish the way our parents were. Our parents had a safety net, which created a certain collective identity. We don't have that safety net. We have to choose to be Jewish. How do we develop a Torah of Judaism in which universalism and particularism could live together? In which I could feel that I have part, I am part of a people and part of a collective identity, all the while that I feel that I am part of a larger world in which I have a mission to, and that to be Jewish requires something of me. There are many people who are getting depressed about the future of Jewish life. I want to tell you, depression is a luxury that we can't afford. We just have to get busy. How do we create an Exodus Judaism that's inspiring? How do we create an Exodus Judaism that a person says, I want to be a part of that? But at the same time, how do we create and recreate a narrative of a collective identity that's not only dependent on what you do, but which gives you a sense that to be a Jew is to be part of a past? where we could still make sense. Do you all remember we just had, for those of you who remember, we just had a Passover Seder. And the Passover Seder we tell the story of different children. There's the smart child, the wicked child, the simpleton, and the one who doesn't know how to even ask a question. What's the wicked child? The wicked child is the one who says, what's this worship to you? To you and not to him. Since he has separated himself from the community, he is a heretic in the essence. Well, today, whether to be a part of the community or not, is no longer inherited. To have a relationship with Israel is no longer inherited. To see yourself as inherently and necessarily a part of the community is no longer inherited. We need a new conversation. And we have to find a new way to take a 3,000-year-old story of Genesis Judaism and Exodus Judaism and weave them together into a new narrative which could inspire a future generation of Jews. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.